Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Welcome to episode 10 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. Once again, I have Jim with me. Can you believe it? Number 10. I can't believe it. We just started in March. I was going to do one per month. Well, you're about a month ahead right now. So if you're having your morning coffee and you happen to have your phone there, just go ahead and record an episode for us. Record it. Send it in. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 10 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi, Jenny Chandler here, back in cool, damp New Zealand and reflecting on the wonderful six weeks I spent in California preparing for and riding the Tevis Cup. What an experience. Um, getting there early was great. It meant I got to, to meet Potato, got to meet Philoette and get to know them both, get to know how Potato liked his horses to be ridden and therefore what Philoette was used to so that I could ride her the same way, so that I wasn't going to be upsetting her muscles and making her more tired by riding in a different way. So that was very advantageous um, and helped, definitely helped on the day. During that time, I stayed with Anne and Jess Blankenship, who made, made me very welcome. They are now awesome friends. I was staying in their RV, in their little bus, so I had my own space but was welcomed into the house and, and helped make bread and helped prepare for the ride. Everything was available. If we could get hold of stuff that I needed, um, nothing was too much trouble. And it was just awesome to, you know, to have my own space rather than be just with, with Potato and Tamara, which had been the initial plan. It was really great to, to have two places that I could move between um, and then keep my sanity you can probably hear the chicken in the background. That's Molly. Molly's quite noisy. She likes to talk. And now she's coming over because I just tossed a bit of dirt down off my sock. Um, so another great advantage of getting there so early was that it gave me a chance to acclimatise to the heat. Um, you know, it's winter in New Zealand at the moment. And if I'd gone straight over there and just ridden, like got over there a week before the cup and just ridden um, without having that time to acclimatise, I think it would have been much harder. So because I became very soon became aware that it was very hot and if my horse was getting fit, I should probably get fit too, I started going on daily walk slash jogs um, for about three miles along to the reservoir nearby, round, round the reservoir, picking blackberries, which was awesome. So I lived on, on blackberries a lot and jogging and walking. And so, and I would do that in the heat of the day. I'd do that at about three o'clock. So it was really hot. And I think come cup day, I didn't really notice that it was hot. People are saying it was a very hot day. I didn't notice it. So I think that was a big advantage to spend that time getting ride fit and Heat fit was probably even more important. Ride fit, sure, you're sore afterwards, but you generally cope on the day. Um, 
One of the other things that made a huge difference to my time and to the ride itself was that I went along to watch the ultra 100-mile person run because um, my sister was very excited. Um, she knew someone who was crewing for a local runner. And so I went to Forest Hill, met up with them, and because I wasn't involved, I was able to just stand there taking photos that I could then share with the runner and, and the crew, crew and with my friends at home. And upon seeing those photos of um, the runner surrounded by people from home by, with various crew members all helping this runner, my sister thought, Jenny needs somebody of her own. She needs someone from New Zealand to crew for her, who understands her, who knows her. And originally she had thought of my good friend Kerry, who often crews for me in the big rides, but both her and her husband were too busy to be able to come. And so Daryl leapt at the chance. So there I had Daryl helping me there for the for the week before Tevis and we were able to do a bit more touristy things. Um, I find it very hard to be a tourist on my own. So I'd been kind of mainly just, you know, exercising the horse, exercising myself, catching up with stuff on the computer that I don't necessarily have time to do at home and relaxing in the swimming pool next door. So whilst I was working hard, I was also actually managing to have a holiday, which was great as well. And then Daryl came and we did a few touristy things. And the bonus of it being Daryl that came along, she had American friends. So suddenly I had three people, Daryl, her friend Cindy, and her other friend Gabby, who is a very good endurance rider and also is a very good at massage, both horse and rider, suddenly I had my own crew. I'm sure I would have been fine with um, the crew that Potato was providing, but they would be crewing for two horses and suddenly I had my own dedicated crew and that made a huge difference on the day and I really appreciated it. So, you know, we get up for the ride, get up to Roby Park and one thing that you notice that's different from New Zealand, in New Zealand all your horses are in pens, either solid yards or electric fence tapes and suddenly we're here with horses that are just left tied to the trailer all night. Feels very foreign um, but it seems to work for you guys. Um, in the morning, up early at three o'clock to make sure the horses had their, f had their morning feed and get yourself ready, pretty normal there. And then the milling around in, the, in pen two, um, neither Fifi nor Philoet had done much any endurance riding recently, so we were starting from pen two. And then walking down to the start, um, I got separated from Potato. Um, he'd snuck round and got into a better position ahead, but the gap had closed up and there was no room to get past. But that's okay, because I'd been there for so long, I was feeling confident that I knew what I was doing, I knew my horse, um, I'd heard a lot about the trail. It was okay. We'd been told that as you came up, up above Score Valley, you do that big climb, to be sure to look back. Look back because you'll get a beautiful view of Lake Tahoe. Well, not this year. I remembered to look back, but unfortunately with the smoke, I couldn't even see the lake, much less take a photo of it. So that was disappointing, but it is what it is. The track up there was lovely, you know, with all the flowers, wildflowers that, that grow up during the summer. 
very beautiful, very dusty, but I had a bandana so I could breathe through that and not choke too much. <laughs> so that was a bonus. And then, then we get to the first vet check. So the first one was just a trot past, okay, it can handle that, get back on your horse, go for a trot past the vet, that was okay. But then I was to my first gate and go. And the reality of Tevis, where you've got all these volunteers coming up going, what would you like me to do? Um, um, um. <laughs> and you take your saddle off. Where do you want your saddle put? I don't know. <laughs> where should I put it? Um, because at that point I had no idea that, that it is normal that once you've done the taking the vets, taking the parameters, the heart rate, um, checking for dehydration, um, gut sounds, etc., that then it is perfectly normal at that point to trot off and then you just get on and keep going. You don't trot back. So my saddle was in the wrong place. I had to come back, put the saddle back on and then go, go through again. But the volunteers, boy, you sure get used to that kind of treatment. What would you like to do? Oh, could you fill my water bottles? Could you, we need to cool it down. Um, could we have a pulse check? Can you do this? Can you do that? What have you got to eat? Um, I'd like you to have this food. You know, you very soon get to appreciate those volunteers for the amazing work they do and the support they give you. Then Cougar Rock. Not a problem, says Philoet. Not a problem. It was just easy. She's done it five times before, at least. Um, she doesn't even know you can go around the other way. Bang, zoom, we're up and over. And the exhilaration on getting to the top, even though you didn't find it hard, you know, the stories of Cougar Rock, the fact you don't have to do it, you can choose to wimp out and go around if you want, which, you know, could be more sensible. It's easier. And if you're concentrating on just getting your horse around, that would be sensible. But, hey, I got the photo. Um, another vet check at Red Star and then not too long and we're at Robinson Flat. Great to see the crew members. And that was where I learnt... A bit, started learning a bit more about Philoet. Now, she was excited coming into Robinson Flat. She knew where she was. She was still feeling pretty perky. And that was great. And then her heart rate came down to 60 quite quickly. But we went and checked it just as we were going to go into the P&R people. And it had bounced up with the walk. So we kept crewing her, waiting. And it would just be bouncy for a little while. And then we decided it was holding at 58. We went in 56. By the time we walked down to the vet, 52. So awesome little horse. She may take a little while to come down, but bang, when it drops, it drops like a stone. So that was good to know. Unfortunately, at, at Robinson Flat, we discovered that her gut sounds were way down. She had a C for gut sounds. So then she ate okay during the hold. That was okay. And she had a bit of a pick of grass before we got going. But from then on in the ride, I was concentrating on getting those gut sounds up, making sure her metabolic parameters were good. So then we're we're trucking on and we come to the first canyon. Now the daunting thing about the first canyon, it's not so much the temperature. When we got to the bottom, yeah, it was hot, but I didn't really feel it was as extremely hot as they'd suggested it was going to be. But one of the daunting things is you're at the top of this canyon and you look across to the other side of the canyon and you look down and it's a long way down and you can see that you've got to go all the way back up to basically level with where you are now. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> never mind. We, we set off down there and I, I hopped off and I led her down most of that. And as I was going down, because I'm still worrying about her gut contents, she'd eaten a bit at, um, at the vet checks, but she was still not eating as well as I would like. So I was actually picking her bits of grass on the side of the road and I'd fold them up and stuff them in her mouth. And I managed to convince her to chew on those, a couple of those, before she started spitting them out, which was disappointing. 
Um, so I led her all the way down, led her into the river at the bottom. Um, I don't think she really had a drink there, but I was able to cool her down and, and just spend a little bit of time letting her legs have a bit of a cool, have a bit of a rest, and then hop on again over the swing bridge, no problem there. At that point, I quite appreciated the fact that my shoes were filled with water, but by the time we'd got to Forest Hill, they were really over being wet and they were wrinkly and swollen and disgusting looking. Um, but that's a story for later, I guess. But at that time, having heavy, wet shoes was okay because it was nice and cool. So we wind our way back up the hill to Devil's Thumb. Again, because I was still concentrating her gut sounds, she wasn't showing the interest in the grass that I wanted. I stopped at um, Devil's Thumb for probably about half an hour um, just letting her eat. Um, it's not actually a vet check, so you just stay there, let your horse recover from the big climb you've just had, let them cool down, and then she started eating, and she was eating really well. So I let her do that for a while, and I had a bit of a snack of, of some of the stuff that's there, um, chatted to people, kept cooling her, made sure she cooled right down. And then it's just one mile to the Deadwood vet check, um, her gut sounds were improved. We were now Bs rather than Cs, so that was really good. The rest at the top of Devil's Thumb had paid off. On to the, the next break at Michigan Bluff, and I don't really remember much about that trail, so I guess it, I don't know, it was probably just by that stage the same amount of awesomeness that you've sort of been seeing all day. Coming into Michigan Bluff, it was awesome to see Keisha and her crew there and to just have that bit of personal attention, even though my own crew hadn't come to Michigan Bluff, it was it was almost like they had, because I had friends there who were looking after me particularly, as well as the volunteers. So that was really awesome. And we just stood around and chatted while Philouette had some more food, still concentrating on those gut sounds. And then on to Forest Hill, catching up again with, with Daryl, Cindy, and now Gabby. She hadn't been at Robinson Flat because... They live down on the coast, so it takes a while to get there. And so both Philouette and I were able to have massages, oh bliss, and have our hour rest. So again, getting more food into her, which was good. And then heading out, and of course, coming into Forest Hill, all those people with the hoses, the excitement, coming up the hill, and you're like, you're a celebrity. Every horse is a celebrity, and that makes it very special. And again, um, going out, still light, but getting rapidly getting, getting dark now. I'd got in to Forest Hill, I think, at about 20 to 8, so it was 20 to 9. That doesn't sound like it should have been dark. Never mind. Anyway, it was just getting dark. And again, lots of people just wishing you well and giving you cheers as you head off on trail again. This is where... I fell in with a great group. We had Sally, the Australian, in front, Robert, the American, then me, and a Canadian behind me who I can't for the life remember the name of. I'm sorry, we did introduce ourselves, but she was first, so by the time I'd added two more names, her name was gone. And we were, we were doing really well, just going along together in the dark. Sally in front, she had a headlamp on. Robert behind, he didn't need a headlight, then I would just, initially I didn't have my headlight on either, but then I found that occasionally if I got behind a bit, I'd want the headlight, so I'd have mine on, on a dimmer setting and just keep it down 
um, behind the horse in front, not shining it up at the horse at all. And that seemed to work really well. And then Canada behind me could use that light as well. And we, we, were, we were doing really well, um, just, just trundling along together at a nice pace, not talking much, you know, partway round we kind of introduced ourselves, which was great because I managed to catch up with Sally the next day at prize giving and we're now friends on Facebook and if I hadn't known what her name was, um, that would have been impossible, much as it was with Canada, unfortunately. I haven't been able to reconnect with her. I need to go and look at the start list, I guess. I might be able to tell then. Love to know if she finished. And they say, they say at Forest Hill, it's all downhill from here now. This is, the, you know, this is the easy part of the ride. It's all downhill bullshit. There's plenty of uphills, and every time, every time Sally would say, I'm sorry, I lied, <laughs> there's another uphill to her horse. So we got partway, partway the first, to the first vet check's quite a long way from Forest Hill. Um, Francisco's is a long way. And when we'd been going for a little while, we came across one of those signs, and it said, Francisco's 12 and a half miles. So I did my little calculation of adding another half and so, oh, well, okay, it's a little bit less than 20 k's, 20 kilometres. That's okay. It's a long way, quite a long way, but that's okay. And we trotted and we walked and we trotted and we walked and we mainly down and some up and round corners and trotted and walked and trotted and walked. And then we eventually we get to another sign, 4.9 miles. Are you kidding? <laughs> We've only gone slightly more than halfway. You've got to be kidding. It was a bit of a low point because... You know, it's dark. We seem to have been going on this trail now for ever since Forest Hill, and yet we still have five five miles to go. But never mind. We got to we got to Francisco's. Francisco's okay. Everybody everybody vetted through, um, and that's where we lost Canada because you know you're sort of all vetting. I happened to notice Sally and Robert were ready to go out, so and Philoet wasn't eating. At this point, she'd had a pick, but she wasn't really interested in having any more. So I thought, well, I might as well stick with this group. So we headed off again. But, yeah, managed to lose Canada at that point, which, again, was a shame. And as we're trucking along there again, still in the same system, but the, the moon came up, which did make it easier. So coming down to the river, we were actually able to be without our headlamps, which was really beautiful. And the moon, and there was Mars beside it, made it a little bit special again. And coming into the river, it was fine. The river crossing went well. And then just as we're coming out, um, Philoet was ahead at the stage. I'm not sure why. We were, we were in front going across the river. I think that just kind of happened. As we're coming up, and I'm thinking we've got to turn right, and the track goes up and around to the right, and there were some horses ahead, ahead of us on the track. And Philoet, as she was coming out of the river up, up to follow the trail, looked at those horses off to the right, as you would. There's something moving over there. She swung her head round and looked, and because we were just coming up a bank, she tripped, went down on her knees, um, got up and continued, seemed okay, but that was our undoing. After, after a while, we caught up with those other horses. Sally and Robert went on, and I just let Philoet. She wanted to slow down a bit, and I thought, well, she's, she's getting tired. I had been a bit worried because at Francisco's she'd not wanted to trot. She'd been, she, she was starting to get sore. Her, her butt muscles were starting to get sore. She was tight. I was conscious of the fact that she was, I was on a tired horse. She was getting a bit sore behind. Nothing, not tying up, nothing drastic, just tired. I let her slow down a bit. We still had plenty of time. I know it was about two in the morning. I'm not sure. 
Um, I had my contact lens on and it doesn't give me short distance very well, so even when I did check the time, I wasn't very good at, at reading it, so generally didn't bother other than to check that we still had plenty of time, which we did. And so coming down into Lower Quarry, down the downhill, I hopped off to lead her down, down the hill because why not, we're nearly there. And while I was there, I kind of gave her a bit of a, a curry up, swung the rope at her, undid the reins, swung the, swung the end of the reins at her going, oi, you need to trot when I ask you to trot. Um, suck it up, you know, you're jogging along okay when I'm riding you, when I lead you, you need to trot. So um, went in, got her cooled down, got her heart rate down, had a, had a rump blanket on her because I'm still worried about those hindquarters, go for my trot up and oh, she was lame in front. So when she'd gone down on her knees, having uh, coming out of the river, she'd bruised her left front knee. That would have been the one because of the way she looked to the right. Her left knee would have borne the, most of her weight and she was lame. We were out. Oh, you can only imagine what that feels like. Um, and then you sit around for a while, some marvellous volunteers looking after my horse while I moped about feeling sorry for myself. Um, I was seizing up too, so I can only imagine how Philoet's muscles were feeling because mine were sore, so I danced it, so I kind of just wandered aimlessly around trying to stay on my feet and not fall asleep. We were waiting for other people to vet out because there was a three-horse trailer. They didn't want to send just one horse home on its own. So, yeah, waiting for people to vet out, which is in itself is a little bit depressing. Yeah, there were a couple more, so we eventually got back. There was Potato waiting for us um, to take Philoette home. There was Daryl and Cindy. We, may, we remembered to um, tell the Kentucky University people, because we were taking part in the, in the trial, hey, do you want the final, final blood sample from this horse, even though she vetted out? Yes, they did, so we waited for that. Went to see the vet. The vet was happy that she was fine to go home and that was Tevis <laughs> um, if you'd people who asked me at the time are you going to come back and do it again ooh don't ask me today I said don't ask me <laughs> just don't ask but now sure I'd love to have another go at it and um, get that buckle got so close 94 miles so close one day I will be back. It may not be next year, but one day. Catch you later. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Erin Glassman. I'm back with a little bit more about my Tevis adventure from 2018. When we left Robinson Flat, we went um, down the road um, to Dusty Corners, this road goes on for quite a while and it's pretty good to trot on. Um, last year I think I cantered on it some, um, but this year I mostly just trotted it. We just made pretty good time down there and then um, we got to Dusty Corners and got some water um, and then moved on to the next point. Um, my strategy during the ride was just to get to the next point and try to maintain roughly a six mile an hour average which at this point I was able to do. 
I knew that I would have to slow down later, um, both from fatigue and terrain, so I was trying to make as much good time as I could earlier on, and I'm glad that I did. We um, kind of continued on by ourselves. I would pop in and out with other riders, but for the most part, I try to ride just with Rio. She does better on her own. Um, she's not as attracted to the other horses or not like trying to ride their ride. I do a better job of paying attention to her if I'm not having to talk to other people. And I don't mean to be antisocial, but I want to do what's right for my horse, and that's more important to me than, than um, just bantering on the trail. We went up and um, went around Pucker Point by ourselves. Um, there was a lady that was kind of in and out beside me. Um, she was having a little trouble hanging on to her horse, and he was fighting her wanting to go, and she wasn't wanting him to take off, and that was kind of interesting. Pucker Point was fantastic as usual. I say as usual like I've done it a ton of times, but again, it was wonderful. Um, you could just look forever down there and see those beautiful blue pools of the river um, way far down below you. There is not much a trail. There's enough, but there's not much, and it does drop pretty steeply off to the side, so it's not a spot that you're going to want like a fractious horse on. I don't think you'd want a fractious horse on any part of the trail itself. Um, I think you want a horse that you're pretty confident is a good partner, that does try to listen to you and take care of you and that has like a fairly good head on its shoulders but uh, other than that um, it was it was beautiful right around in there we soon moved on to the next stop which was I think Deadwood I'm having a little brain fart on on the order of the vet checks um, but I'm pretty sure that's what was next my strategy on the vet checks is that if the horse is going to drink right away, I'll let them do that. Or if they dive right in and, and grab a couple bites, I'll let them do that. But if they don't seem like they're going to get aggressive about it, if they're down on pulse, I go straight to the vet. Because a lot of times after the vet check, they also have water and they also have um, hay and some feed. And so there's a good chance to get to that afterwards as well. And so I don't waste a lot of time in the vet checks. Um, I passed up quite a few people that way. And it seems to kind of make up some time for me anyways. And at the end, I really didn't have a lot of extra time to spare. So I, I suppose that's probably a good strategy for me. I'm not sure if that's a great strategy for everyone, but you've got to do what's right for your horse. That was actually last chance is where last chance was that, that vet check there. So then um, after that, you start traveling down and you get to your first canyon. I had been training at home um, with running and been out in the heat quite a bit, but I don't know if I had not been drinking quite enough or if it was the excessive heat for the day. Um, I heard that the temperatures were close to 100, and I'm not exactly sure what the temperature was in the canyons, but uh, it was it was pretty warm. After last chance, my friend Charlie and I kind of caught up with each other, and so we were going to run down the canyons. Well, I ran down part of them or ran and slash hiked. Um, we got behind some slower people and I got about halfway down it and I was feeling pretty woozy. So I decided that it would probably be better to go ahead and hop up on before I really got into trouble than it would be to just kind of keep pushing through. My shoes this year, I think were less comfortable. They were supposed to be trail running shoes and I had been running in them, but they, they 
tended to be pretty miserable to run in. They were pretty stiff, not as cushiony. I think I'll go back to what I had last year and just do regular running shoes versus like specific trail shoes. I just was not impressed with those. Um, so anyways, we, we made it down to the swinging bridge. Uh, there were quite a few people down um, at the river, and somebody was making a pretty big fuss that they couldn't get out of there. But our group went ahead and just headed on in because we couldn't really back up the trail either. And so we got down there, and Charlie and I went off to the side so that that way we'd be out of the way and not in the hubbub. I'm not sure if that was the incident that people keep talking about or not. I, I know there was a lady who was having troubles keeping control of her mule, and then there was also a lady that was trying to climb up the rocks after we had all gotten down several minutes later and her horse slipped. So Charlie and I went ahead and watered down there. Um, we were able to get in pretty slick without any issues of traffic and came back out without any issues of sliding crossed the swinging bridge and Rio was pretty good with it initially I did ride over it once we had another rider behind us though she was kind of getting a little bit goosey because apparently it was shaking it enough for her we climbed out of that canyon I did ride her up um we made decent time but it is slow there and you really can't do much more than I don't know two and a half three mile an hour maybe so that took a long time we got up to the top I have said several times that I would like to call BS on the uh, mileage. Um, supposedly it's only a mile and a half down to the bottom. Ha! Huh, it seems like 10 miles, but I think that's just because you're going so slow. Um, we made it up to the top and went to Devil's Thumb, got some water, and then started down the next canyon. I did try to run part of that again and ended up getting back on. It's kind of the same deal. Um, it was it was pretty warm. And uh, last year I was able to do a lot more, I think, again, due to better... Okay, I had to take a little short break there. Um, but we headed back up out of the second canyon. I again rode her. And then we went up to uh, Michigan Bluff. And she drank pretty well there. Um, my crew was there. Um, they helped us get her cooled down. And then we climbed up the hill towards Piper Junction, or also known as Chicken Hawk. Up there, it took her a little while longer to pulse down um, than it had previous vet checks. But we had just come out of the canyons. And it was pretty hot out, so that really didn't cause me much excessive worry. Um, I was still riding with Charlie at that point, and it was great to catch up with him and uh, visit. I thought that was a wonderful thing to be able to share with him. So um, we got our picture taken together going into Piper Junction, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and we took it just in case we got split up later. After we left Piper Junction, we had the last canyon to do, and that one's not nearly as severe. And so after getting out of the third canyon, which is not nearly as severe, went into Forest Hill. Pulsed right down and set to resting our horses. And Charlie and I agreed that we would meet at the out timer before going out. When I went into the vet check at Forest Hill, the vet that evaluated us said that she looked really dry. Well, she had had a really, really good drink at, at one of the tanks coming out of the canyon and then she also had a really really good drink um, out of one of these um, little fountains I suppose you would call them or um, drinking wells that they have alongside the trail occasionally so she had some really good drinks and she she felt good she felt pretty strong then and so decision was that we would take her back up to the vet before we headed out of Forest Hill and we got back to the crewing site and she ate like 
crazy. Uh, she was wolfing down her food, very hungry. She did very well with that. As before, I felt like we were pretty strong. Hello, I'm Doris Waite from Manitoba, Canada. Christine has been asking me to send a story, so here's my story. I went down to the Tevis Ride to take part in the fun. I had leased a horse and was excited to meet people, old friends and new. While at the Foreign Riders dinner, Daryl Owen came up and introduced herself as a fellow podcaster. It always surprises me when people recognize me as I barely recognize my own family. Daryl was down to crew for Jenny Chandler, who was riding one of Potato Richardson's horse. I also had a chat with Keisha Woods. I had met Keisha last year as she was kind enough to give me water when I was silly enough to go walking the Tevis Trail without any. We had some laughs and of course the requisite selfies were taken. Lots of selfies and lots of laughs. I don't have much to report on my Tevis ride as I only made it to Red Star, which is just, well, I don't know, it's not even quite 30 miles in. Extreme nausea, along with a number of other issues, made it really unrealistic for me to even try to continue. I knew that I didn't have the energy, uh, the strength, the presence of mind to keep going, and I wasn't about to endanger the mare. It's just too hard to ride that trail with not being really of sound mind, and I had no other option. I was to be transported back by one of the volunteers back to Forest Hills. As I was struggling to walk the mile or so up to the trailer, I asked the volunteer, well, how much further? She told me, it's just around the corner. About 10 minutes and many more corners, Becca Stone appeared with her horse. She asked the volunteer, how much further? I said, well, she's going to tell you it's just around the corner. Apparently, she lies. We had a good laugh, and that helped me forget about my miserable state, at least for the moment. Potato Richardson had also been pulled at Red Star, so he was in the same truck as me. I wanted to ask so many questions, but all I could think of is don't throw up on him. Here you have one of the icons of Tevis, and I had nothing. I could only feebly listen to what he had to say, and he had lots of stories. It was really quite disappointing, but it was what it was. When I got to Forest Hill, there was Forest Hill, sorry, there was Daryl. She came over immediately to help me. I was so grateful I could have cried. I didn't know who or where my crew was, but Daryl took over while I collapsed under a tree in the shade. Another friend of hers that she was was helping her crew for Jenny came over and gave me a hand. They were wonderful. I can't say enough good about them. I felt horrible, and they 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 gave me a hand. They they fetched, carried. They found my crew for me. It was wonderful. Well, it sure wasn't the Tevis experience I had envisioned. I got to meet some incredible people. I'm not sure I'll take on the Tevis again. I do have a buckle with my own horse, but then the ride really has a magical feel to it that makes it really, really hard to stay away. So I'm not real sure I can. I guess it'll depend on my horses as they have a say in the matter too. I do prefer to ride my own horses. It just means a a lot more. So I guess we'll see. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Hi again, Daryl from New Zealand. 
this time coming to you from the endurance capital of the world, Auburn, California, now officially trademarked. So this time round I'm not riding. I'm here to crew for my good friend Jenny Chandler. Jenny got the opportunity to ride for Potato Richardson and then her sister Mary thought it was a shame Jenny didn't have her own support person from home. So she sponsored me into coming over to be with her sister. Thanks so much Mary, you're an amazing sister. Jenny came out to California a lot earlier than I did so she could train with the horse and potato and I followed out a couple of weeks before Tevis. So I haven't actually had much riding while I've been here. I visited with an endurance friend, Gabrielle Mann, for a few days to start with and she gave me a couple of riding lessons on her horse, Jimmy. She made me work hard and took my stirrups off me. I haven't worked that hard on a horse for ages. Totally worth it though. She's an amazing rider and an amazing teacher and you're never so good you can't improve. So then she delivered me to where Jenny was staying in Greenwood, California. I went out for a very short ride with Jenny and Potato the next morning and then we spent the afternoon being tourists in Sacramento. The history of this area of the growth of California and the gold rush is amazing. We did Sutter's Fort and then we stood beside the statue of the Pony Express rider in Old Sacramento, saw trains, lots of history of the city. And the next day we took the opportunity to look around Auburn before we got overrun by everything Tevis. And then on Sunday we went to Coloma where the first gold was actually discovered. Never been there before, so that was really really neat. Monday we took a trip to Robinson Flat to remind me of what it looked like and how to get there, and, and we hiked some of the trail while we were there. And then we headed back down towards Forest Hill, but got sidetracked by a sign towards Deadwood, so we explored that and Devil's Thumb as well. These have just been names on, on the map to me before, and yes, I did have Deadwood Stage from Calamity Jane stuck in my head for a while after that. No singing on podcasts. So by the time we got to Forest Hill, we were tired, out of water, and looking forward to calling it a day. But it was a day well spent. Tuesday, we went for a quick walk over No Hands Bridge and put our feet in the very cold water of the American River before hiking a very short section of trail back to the road crossing from Lower, from Lower Quarry. And then came back to get ready for dinner that night, for the, for the dinner for the VIPs and foreign riders. It was wonderful to meet up again with a couple of people I met from last time I was here for a ride in California, a different one obviously, and also to meet uh, Derese White and Tennessee Lane. After hearing their voices on the podcast, it was wonderful to put faces to voices. Already there's talk of ride exchanges between New Zealand and Canada. Wednesday we went for a short walk, just locally, and then went back to Auburn for the main barbecue and welcome for everyone, and met up with Derese again and Keisha Wood. So wonderful to put another face to another voice. Keisha made my night when she told me that she's really learned a lot from the podcasts and hearing stories from me and Jenny. That's a two-way street. I've learned so much from, here, from everyone else who contributes here as well. Wonderful connections being made. And Courtney, your story that you got into this because your 15-year-old daughter asked you to, to gave me a really, really warm feeling. Good on you. That's really positive parenting. So the main reason for me being here is to crew for Jenny. When I prepare for a ride at home, I have absolutely everything planned on paper so that I can check it all off into its appropriate place at the ride. Our rides have a different kind of crew organisation because most of our rides, the loops or phases, start and finish at the ride base. What that means is that we can actually get by with minimal or no crew and we can have everything set up ourselves as riders. Crew is wonderful and makes life way easier but you can get by without. Yes, I think I'm maybe a little OCD, but my pack list for a ride takes up a sheet of A4. I have it listed out by what we, the whole team, need in separate areas for camping, what food, what meals we need, 
What do the horses need? Several different weights of rugs in case the weather changes, food, hay, etc. Tack for each horse, including a spare saddle just in case, spare girth, spare stirrup leathers, spare everything it seems. Ideally, a different saddle pad for each phase. What do we need for crewing, strapping area, and what do we need in our hold area? If I, we, have them all compartmentalised, it's easier for us to keep track of them. The team is not just me. Guaranteed the electrolytes will always be in the wrong place. We now have duplicates so that we can have them wherever we need them. Like I said, just a little bit OCD. I also have a colour-coded peg system so that we can peg our out-time slips and know which rider they're for. Oh my god, I really am OCD. Works well though. I'm not the best at crewing, actually. I do a lot of publicity for the sport in New Zealand, so I often get sidetracked with talking to people and taking photos, but I'm getting better. There are others who are much better also at massage and picking up a stiff muscle that's potentially going to be an issue. My team traditionally don't use a lot of water to crew, and unless it's really hot, we don't use ice. We have a hose and a pump, but my horse gets all excited about that and it puts his heart rate up. I practice at home, honest, but um, he's just really excited about having a bath. So now we're keeping the, the hose and the pump in the hold area to keep them cool if they're standing around in the heat. All of our multi-loop rides, so anything over 25 miles, 40 k's, are a vet, are vet gate to hold. And we mirror the rules for FEI, so there's only one lot of rules. When we cross the line, we have 20 minutes... 30 minutes at the finish to get the heart rate down, call time, and then the heart rate is taken by the vets in the vet ring. As a team, we're trying to get more consistent at picking out our horses' hooves before we go to the vet ring. Sometimes they're just about to go out in the next loop and we realise, oh crap, we forgot to check their hooves. Our hold area has water, food for horses, food for people, shelter for people. It doesn't get as hot here as it, does in, as it has been in this last week of California. Whilst my riders are chilling out and getting something to eat and drink and go to the toilet... I'll put up a new saddle pad, wash the girth if it's muddy, and make sure everything's ready to go. We have the out-time slips pegged up so we don't lose them, and then with just under 10 minutes to go, we'll tack up ready to get back to the start line. It's also a really good idea for the rider to check the tacking up before they get on as well. I remember one ride I did where my crew had forgotten, or maybe it had just come loose, to do up the curb chain on the hackamore. I got to a gate, dropped a rein, and the whole bridle fell off the horse's head onto the ground. And then I remembered I was on a horse that bolts. Got off quick, no harm done. Lesson learned, always check your tack. The good thing about having the vet gate slips pegged up is also that it's a ready reference to what my rider's number is. How many times have I been back at base listening for the call from the checkpoint that my rider is coming in and I can't remember what their number is. So all our little systems have been a work in progress and have worked themselves out as we've gone along. My job as crew is to have everything prepared ahead of time for my rider and horse and then to deal with the horse, maybe hand grazing if they don't want the food they've been offered so that my rider can just relax and get themselves ready for the next loop and keeping a check on the time so that they're not late to the start line. As the Tevis crew shirt says, hurry up and wait, then hurry up and wait again. That's crewing. I've crewed once before for Tevis. I felt completely unprepared, didn't know the horse, didn't know the rider's systems well enough and I felt a complete fish out of water half the time. This time I'm feeling like I know a bit more of what to expect and we should be good. And I've also got experienced people with me I know that will know the horse and they'll know what's expected of me and they'll tell me what to do. I'll do an update when we're done. So wishing good luck to all and looking forward to meeting some more podcasters. Hi, my name is Melanie Martin. Um, I was asked 
uh, to do a podcast invited by Keisha Wood and by the podcast creator to tell my Tevis story. My stallion and I finished Tevis at 4.43 a.m. It wasn't the day we planned on, but it was the day we had. He's 13 years old. This was his second 100 and his first Tevis. And this was also my second 100 and my first Tevis. I'd love to talk all about my ride from start to finish, but it'd take forever. And so I really want to take this time to just encourage uh, people that are thinking about riding it, but maybe they're wor- worried or scared. Um, this is going to sound kind of mm, negative in some ways, but I think in some ways it's really important to grasp the reality while at the same time planning for your goal making a plan for how you're going to finish this thing this year the completion rate was 42% like the worst in history I believe I haven't heard any different as of now Um, it's you know every year only basically half finish the ride why is that I'm sure some people probably go to Tevis and maybe they don't live too far away. It's, it's not that expensive. If they don't make it to the end, it's no big deal. They can come back again the following year. And that's fine if that's the case. But I'm kind of talking to the people that were like me that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity or don't have the finances to make that trip every year or maybe once every five years I'm here to talk to the folks that no matter what they want to get to the finish line that was my goal my goal was to finish no matter what my horse and I um, had some odds stacked against us we uh, had to represent at the vet in And I wasn't even sure they were going to let me start. But the vets, you know, uh, took counsel and they agreed to let us start. I decided to give my horse that opportunity and see how the day unfolded. For people that want to finish no matter what, that's their their plan, you know, other than obviously a a pull by the veterinarians or, uh, you know, maybe an injury to themselves. You know, their, their plan is to finish. I think it's really important for those riders to take a very realistic look at themselves, their strengths and weaknesses, and also the strengths and weaknesses of their horse. The Tevis Trail is going to bring out you and your horse's weaknesses. There's, there's nothing you can do about it. Between the weather and the difficulty of the trail itself, the added time management issue due to the checks and the amount of horses that you're sharing the trail with, no matter what, those things are gonna happen and you're gonna have to deal with it. However, there's also the other side, which is that there are fantastic things about the Tevis Trail and that there's hundreds of volunteers to assist you. Hopefully you'll have some sort of crew to help you through and you have 
the best veterinarians in the world looking at you and your horse multiple times during the day and they're there to help you they're there to cheer you on and that's the way you should look at those veterinarians they want you to be successful so when you're considering how you're going to get to the finish line let's go back to taking a look at your strengths and weaknesses if you're a rider that doesn't deal with the heat plan on how you're going to cope with it if um, you are worried about riding in the dark you better practice riding in the dark a lot you may never completely get over it but you will be more prepared and more ready to handle that weakness when it creeps up on you if you're a rider that excels in the heat then you need to maximize your day during the heat take a look at your list and figure out how you're going to attack the trail with your strengths and while dealing with your weaknesses then do the same thing with your horse on my particular day for reasons that are still unknown to me my horse um, couldn't climb the hills like he normally can he's normally a phenomenal uphill horse well he didn't have it that day he'd trot a little ways and then he would just tell me that he needed to walk okay fine obviously all that walking added up and and we really lost a lot of time so I knew immediately that every single chance we could if the trail was flat or downhill I had to make up time and you will have to determine what your horse's strengths and weaknesses are um, you know prior to the ride and during the ride so that you can maximize your horse's strengths and manage their weaknesses the trail is going to bring out all of your horse's weaknesses no matter what they are but the trail is also going to give you opportunities if you will use them that's the thing you've got to bank on those moments it's different for everybody whatever those moments are where you have a chance to make time or you have a chance to excel if you want to make it to the finish you have got to use those opportunities and maximize your horse's potential the times when you have to slow down and the trail is bringing out your weaknesses you need to just embrace that as a part of your day and realize that it's only temporary this year you know Tevis was exceptionally hot and it felt hot all day but when you're in the shade you need to relish the shade if there's 10 seconds of a breeze you need to rejoice in the breeze your mental state as you go through the challenges is incredibly important if you're afraid of heights you need to look straight ahead don't look off the edge don't let your weakness get in your head just keep moving forward eventually whatever it is in the trail or in your day that is a weakness it's gonna go away it's only temporary don't let those challenges get in your head you have to keep moving forward knowing that just up the trails another checkpoint just up the trails another opportunity to see a vet just up the trail there's food or ice water Tevis is a chance to show off everywhere you're strong and it's a chance to embrace everywhere you're weak and just continue to go forward my horse and I finished at 4 43 in the morning 
my plan was to finish around 1.30. And my horse was very capable of that. That was not an unrealistic goal. But that's not the cards we were dealt. There's no opportunity at Tevis for woe is me. If you want to finish, if you're one of those that can't make it back the following year, or this might be your only chance, I want to encourage you to put in the time and the effort for the mental preparation that no matter what, aside from you or being injured or your horse having difficulty that requires, you know, veterinary attention or a pull, no matter what, you're going to keep a positive attitude and you're not going to let the trail beat you. Best wishes. Hi, this is Keisha Wood. I'm up at Roby Park. I'm trying to be quiet so not everybody can see me doing this podcast, but we're on our way to vet in with our mentor, Cressy Drummond. And uh, all five of us are here to, uh, of the Wind Riders. And um, so exciting. And he's about to vet in. And we're also vetted in with uh, Susie Jones, who's going to be riding her horse, Flash. Okay, so one of our wind riders, Lisa Bradford, it's her first time coming to Tevis to crew. So what do you think so far? I am so excited and I can't stop looking around and I'm just on cloud nine. I can't wait for all this. Isn't it cool to see all the different horses that are about to take this on and how muscly and built and their riders? They are all complete athletes. Every horse that I've seen has made my eyes pop. They're so beautiful and they all look like they're ready to go. Well, what do you think, Rayanne? Rayanne's the other fellow Witten rider. So when it is just beautiful here, it's green, it's gorgeous. I've never seen so many fit horses and fit riders. Everybody looks ready. All right, thank you. We'll be coming back to you later. All right, we're all bedded in. Susie Jones's horse is number 118 and he goes by Flash and Cressy's horse is number 150 goes by Saga. Both did really good, bedded in, ready to go for tomorrow. Okay, we have done the crew meeting and everybody's vetted in and now we are about to leave Cressy and Saga and Flash and Susie Jones. They are going to be getting ready to take off tomorrow morning and I'm going to try to sneak over there and ask Cressy a question and just see how she's feeling, if she will let me. How do you feel about tomorrow, Cressy? Well, I feel a little bit apprehensive, but I'm anticipating a wonderful day. Do you think that you're going to win? No. Thank you. We will be checking in tomorrow at the other stops. First stop, Robinson Flat. Hey, it's Keisha. I'm updating you guys. I'm at Michigan Bluff right now. It is um, 6.18 in the evening. Um, and this has been a very, very intense day. It is hot and we were briefed the canyons are going to be pretty treacherous for all the riders because of the heat. But so far, all of our New Mexico crew has come through. We've only had one person that was um, pulled, and that was before Robinson Flat. Cressy came in, and I could not believe how dirty her face was from all of the dust. And it looked like she had mud lipstick, but um, she was so beautiful. Just it was so awesome seeing her come in at Robinson Flat and Saga looking so good. And our other writer, Susie Jones, just so strong. And Melanie Martin, we have another one. She's just really, really, she's riding her stallion Titan, doing so good. And we have been up here at Michigan Bluff. We've been waiting and um, to see how uh, 
they were going to come in. It's been a close call because the GPSs are not updating properly. And so we have been freaking out over them meeting the cutoff times because, for instance, they had to make it to FOTS uh, at, I think it was last chance or something like that by five o'clock. And I can't remember which one it was exactly. And they were not showing updated. So we were having a freak out wondering if they were pulled. But so far they are on track. It has been such a fun experience. We've met so many people. Another podcaster, which you all know is Jenny from New Zealand. I have become such good friends with her through this and Daryl. And I'm just having a blast. I'm, I'm here with Lisa and Michelle and I'll have them give us some updates as well soon. But um, I just want to let you guys know Michigan Bluff so far so good. And um, then we'll be heading towards Forest Hill. So I wanted to talk to Michelle real quick. I want you all to hear her perspective because uh, we haven't heard from her yet. And we're up here at Michigan Bluff as I stated and this is a happening spot a lot of crew doesn't come up here but this is where all the animals come out of the canyons so they are sweaty hot panting and I just want you to um, hear what Michelle has to say about it um, Michelle what this is your first time here at Tevis so tell us what you think about the Michigan Bluff spot and what did you think about Robinson Flat it's actually a good place to crew I mean more crew really need to come up this way because the horses are hot they're panting and there's nobody up here right so we actually crewed for what five six people at least yes. already yeah it's amazing that nobody comes up here these the horses really need you here yeah and one of the things Lisa had said when we were together <laughs> here is that um, she has never done or uh, crewed for a horse that gets so hot and she had stuck a sponge under one of the saddles and um, so Lisa tell us a little bit about that when when that horse came in and how your whole experience with that um, well, I'm with Michelle. This is absolutely amazing to watch and uh, man, the horses are tired coming out of here and uh, but they still look like total athletes and once they get a little alfalfa and a little water and some mash, they're ready to go again. But Michelle just taught me um, something I didn't know. Uh, I was holding a sponge between the mare's uh, thighs, <laughs> for lack of a better word, in between her thighs. Boy, does that heat build up in there. Um, that sponge sucks so much heat out of those muscles. I couldn't believe it. I mean, my mm -hmm. jaw was on the ground. And uh, Michelle told me you have to work work fast but efficiently down there. You can't leave the, the cool water on the thigh too long or uh, you'll cause cramping. But mm -hmm. just a little kind of back and forth motion to suck that heat out. And I was absolutely stunned to feel the heat on the sponge. That was mm -hmm. amazing. So mm -hmm. really cool. Yep. All right. So we'll be updating you. We're going to be going to Forest Hill after Cressy comes in. We're going to be still hanging out here for a little while. We'll hope to see her soon. And Melanie Martin on her stallion Titan. And we will be updating you shortly. it's Chris again and thank you for listening to episode 10 of the Endurance Horse podcast. It was great to hear from Jenny and Aaron, Daryl, Jerice, Melanie and Keisha and I loved that almost everybody mentioned each other in their audio. I thought that was pretty great. I'm going to keep this nice and short. 
I have about four files from Tevis still left over, but that would have made this a really long episode, um, which I try to keep it at around an hour, hour 20. So I'm gonna save those four files. I'm gonna try to get a couple more to add to them. So I do think we'll end up with a third Tevis related episode for the Endurance Horse Podcast. And I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, please like and review on iTunes if you listen on iTunes and or on Podbean and share the podcast with a friend. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory. To share your story on Endurance Horse Podcast, send an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com.